Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. As we get into the second part of a series we kicked off last week, and we're calling it Hope Fully, and we, we've broken it into to two words on purpose. Uh, it's not a, we don't, we didn't make this mistake, um, but that this concept of hope and fully, so many times we have a hard time, especially as adults, in letting ourselves get our hopes up because having our hopes um, dropped, having the rug pulled out from under our hopes is so painful and it's so devastating, we have a hard time really engaging in this area of hope. But as we look at the scriptures, hope becomes, it's the foundation of our faith. Like we looked at it last week at Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. If we don't have any hope first, we don't have any faith on the backside of it. That faith isn't necessary if there's not something we're engaged in from a place of hope. And so we, we, we want to, to engage with this concept that life isn't fully lived unless hope is fully embraced. That's the only way life is fully lived is if hope is fully, 100% embraced. And we wanting, we're wanting to grow. We, we first understand who Jesus is and what he's done, and we place our, our eternal hope in him. But guess what? There's a lot more for us in Christ than just eternity. Praise God for eternity. That's, that's amazing. That we've been able to step over from death to life, but there's so much more, and we our minds need to be renewed, and we need to grow, and we need to we need to hold on to hope, like a ship does an anchor, and when a ship drops anchor, it does it on purpose because it wants to stay there. It doesn't want to to move. It doesn't want to drift. And Hebrews six nineteen says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And it enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And right quick, I may need to explain this because this is some, some Bible talk. And if you're a little newer to the Bible, that's not going to make any sense. And so this is, the, this is the written to the Hebrew people. So they understand the culture here. But what this is a reference to is to the temple and that where the, the Ark of the Covenant existed, which, which is where God did not live in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the, he didn't hide in there. It wasn't like the raiders of the lost Ark that all of a sudden you pop it open and then this, this, all this stuff comes out. It, but it was, a, it was a symbol and a place where God met with the people of Israel. And it was kept there in the temple and there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And there on that, that back side, it was a place that you didn't go into. You didn't go into unless everything was just right. Everything had been taken care of. And it was only a certain priest at certain times of the year. And that was it. And so what this is saying, and that place represented their hope. And that was where the mercy seat existed. And if everything was right there with Israel, then everything was right with Israel. And what he's saying to these people that understand this concept that our hope is like an anchor, and it goes in, and it goes in under the curtain, and it grabs a hold of something that's firm and secure, something that all of Israel looked to for their hope. And then that's what it's attached to. It's not attached to something that, 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 is, that is weak. It's attached to something that's strong. 
And that is what our, our hope is. And we need an anchor. We need it because all of the ups and downs and the stuff of life will make us drift. And a lot of times we wonder, why are we not more solid? Some of the stuff happens. And I think this little, this little time lapse of the tides taking place on with a little group of little boats there off the coast of Maine kind of gives us a good picture of kind of us sometimes. I only want to roll that right quick. Here we are. We've got the tides coming in and the tides going out. We've got these boats, and they're just anchored out there. We see here with these that uh, they're not going anywhere, but, man, there's, there's some movement. There's a lot of movement. And if we watch this one little guy over here to the far left, and he's aiming one way, and then just a second, he's going to flip around, and he's aiming a complete other way. And it looks like that there's just all sorts of craziness happening, but they're not going anywhere because... They're anchored. They're anchored. And so many times, the stuff of life, we're like, we want to go this way, and, and the, the tides move this. And then all of a sudden, we want to go this way, and the current moves this way. And there's a little bit of movement. And there's a little bit of ups and downs. And, but could you imagine what happened to these boats? If these boats weren't anchored, who knows where these boats would be? Who knows where they would end up if they weren't anchored? And so as they're anchored, it allows there to be to be able to handle the stuff of life, the ups and downs, the flows, all of those different things without being moved from where they need to be rooted and planted. And folks, this is what hope does to us. Because guess what? Life has its ups and life has its downs and, and life has all of the different currents that take place. And if we're not rooted, we're going to be carried around by the currents. Otherwise, and carried off. Otherwise, we're, we're, life does not go where it's supposed to if we're not fully rooted where we're supposed to be. Um, John uh, writes in 3 John 1 2, he says, Beloved, in regard to all things, I pray that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now, the soul. Remember, this is, it says we have an anchor for our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and then our emotions. You are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. This body is just a, a temper. It's not you. It's just, it's just a housing. You are a spirit. You are designed for eternity. But you have a soul, this mind, this will, and emotions. And we need our mind, our will, and our emotions to be anchored solidly. That's where all the significant drift in our life happens. It happens in our mind. It happens in what, we're, what our will is, what we're choosing to pursue, and our emotions. And we need this, and we need, to, we need that area to prosper. And the first time I remember coming in contact with the real effects of drift was years ago we took a, a, a very quick spring break trip um, down to Big Bend. And so this was before the days of the internet and all that fun stuff. And so we load up and we're going to go camping in Big Bend. And we get to Big Bend. Well, guess what? Lots of people had decided they were going to go camping in Big Bend. And there were no campsites. There were none there. So we had loaded up, had all our camping gear. We drove out there. No campsites. So we just kind of piddle around in Big Bend. We'd not seen the Rio Grande. We go to the, 
to the, to the good old Rio Grande and decided we're going to, to get in it and swim. And so I decided I was going to swim to Mexico. And so that was my first trip to Mexico as I swam across the Rio Grande. And I got out and I stood on the Mexican side and I swam back. And so, and I started with my family down here, and I didn't really notice because there wasn't a certain point in Mexico that I wanted to be. I just wanted to go to Mexico. And so I swam across, and then as I came, as I was on the shore and coming back, I noticed my, my family was, was further up the, up the way. They, were, they had, were deeper into the United States than I remembered. And so as, as I'm coming over, and I'm now going to head back. Well, then I'm trying to come across and swim upstream, and uh, my little uh, 10-year-old self was not as strong of a swimmer as I probably needed to be, and so we're we're swimming across and swimming across, and man, and that current has just carried me, and I finally, when I got back over onto the U.S. soil, and so uh, I was a long ways away from where I had first entered into the water, and all of that was simply because of drift. It was all just because of the current. And you and I, so many times, we have a destination we want to get to. We have some place that we want to be. We want to, we want a new location in life. And we begin the process. And then the current of life carries us into an entirely different place. Like that was not where I wanted to end up. And it's because we're not anchored in Christ. We've got to be anchored and drift, especially for you and I as Christ followers. Drift typically happens when we go from either grace into legalism or when we get weary and just quit. That's when it really, that's the, the real things that happen is, and both of these things get addressed by Paul to his, in the letter that he wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia. And Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, he says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. I want you to understand that falling away from grace isn't, you know, this concept of backsliding and all of a sudden starting to do a bunch of bad stuff that you used to do. And all of a sudden you've fallen away from grace. Scripturally, falling away from grace is going back into works and legalism righteousness and saying, I can do the stuff to make myself right with God. I can go back and I don't need to, I'm not relying on what Jesus did and the work of the Holy Spirit. I can do the stuff. I can, I can do all the things that I need to do and be a good Christian. That is falling away from grace, according to Paul, is going back into the works of the law and trying to do it in and of ourselves. And so many times, because grace is so liberating, but it at the same time is this place where we don't have the little check marks to feel like we're doing it all just right all the time. And so it is, it is this thing we have to be led by the Spirit. It says, but by, by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And what that is just a reference to is just the law or have the law. So, so he says, so going for the law or kicking to the law, law to the curb, neither one of those things has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you 
from obeying the truth. You were tracking along. You were doing it right. You were walking in the spirit. You were, you were having a real relationship with God. And then you took that relationship and you set it on the side. And you said, nope, I don't want the relationship. I just want to do the stuff. I'll just do the stuff. And he says, all of a sudden, you have, you've walked away from grace. You've fallen away from grace. And that's where drift in our relationship with God happens first. Is you go, you know what? I don't need to really rely on this. I, I read so many chapters in my Bible today. I'm good. I said a little prayer for our country today. I'm good. I did this thing and I did that. I went to church on the Sunday after Easter. Not just Easter. I went on the Sunday after Easter. I'm good. And we all of a sudden begin to have this mindset that we do the stuff and that that's enough. Well, what God has wanted with us is a relationship the whole time. And then 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And for a long time, for a long time in my relationship with God, this fear thing kept creeping back in. I understood that God loved me. I understood that I had forgiveness in him. But especially as a young minister, I felt like if I didn't, if I didn't buckle down and do the stuff, that man, all of a sudden, that, that there was going to be some negative thing that was going to happen to me, that, that God was going to remove his hand of blessing from me, that God was going to do some, some thing to me. And I had this wrong mindset about who God is and how he operates in our lives. And all of a sudden, instead of walking in a relationship with God out of love, I began to walk in a relationship with God out of fear. And because I was afraid of the punishment, I wasn't more concerned about the blessing of having a relationship with God. I was more afraid of ticking God off. And that is not what this is about. Today, if you're at church because you want to try to put a, try to not make God upset with you, I want you, guess what? I want you to know God loves you. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than He already does. God demonstrated his, his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, while we didn't give a rip, while we didn't care at all, Christ died for us. That's how much He loves us. So guess what? As we begin to connect with him and engage with him, just because we feel like we're not quite doing it right all the time, just because of that, I'm telling you, God it loves it. Remember we talked about it before that God loves to just see the work begin. He rejoices to see the work begin. We're so critical on ourselves when God just wants us to be in relationship. He just wants us to connect with him. But we cannot if we get back into this fear of punishment thing. So he deals with that with the churches in Galatia. And then he also deals with this concept. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we did not give up. It was a number of years ago. Um, then uh, my, my parents were, had bought a house here in San Angelo, still living in Odessa at the time, and we're fixing it up to, to sell it. They were flipping a house before the TV shows existed. And, um, and so they, it, this house needed a, a roof. And I, I had done some, some roofs in the past, and so 
uh, me and a guy that uh, is a, a pastor down south now, this guy named Ruben Ramirez, we, uh, a lot of y'all know him, um, we decided we were going to do the roof. So we were doing the roof to get some extra money. And so Keenan, my oldest son, was seven at the time, the guy who was just up here with the hat. And he, so he wanted to help. And he was wanting a swimming pool. And those swimming pools that you blow up and with the top ring, and then it comes up and it has a little, a little uh, filtration system and all that. He wanted one of those swimming pools for the backyard. I was like, well, guess what? You have an opportunity to get on a roof and help me work. And uh, so this roof, we were not fast roofers. It took like three days to, to roof a little house. <laughs> Real roofers get it done in like a, three quarters of a day. And so, but it took us a long time. And so for three days, this kid is sitting up on the roof. We, I was safe. I know he was seven. All you moms are freaking out. Had a seven-year-old on a roof. He sat up on the top of the roof, and he handed me shingles is what he did. And so he would just slide the shingles to me and be able to, to do that. And so it was all safe and good. And so, But it was long, and we were putting in 10, 12-hour days, and it was long, and he was up there every hour of it and, and working. Well, about halfway through this job, um, uh, he's pretty much, as a 7-year-old, he's done um, the fun of being on the roof, that's, that's spent. It's gone. It is not cool anymore. It's not fun anymore. It is hot up there on the roof. And it was just, uh, it, it was just not a, a fun thing. But every once in a while, I would hear him say, that swimming pool is going to feel so good. <laughs> and hand me another shingle. And then you could just tell he was starting to be done. And he would say, man, that swimming pool. That swimming pool is going to feel so good. And he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And the whole thing that carried him through was the hope of that pool. Well, guess what? When we went down there, we go down to the store, we pick the pool and load it up and carry it and set it up. Man, sure enough, as he was laying there in that pool, that pool felt so good. And that is what hope does for us. Hope does for us. We'll be on the right path. We'll be headed in the right direction, doing the right thing. And it's just not finished yet. It's just not done. And this is why you and I need this, okay? Because as soon as we say yes to Jesus, we are heaven ready in that moment. We are heaven ready. Our sins are forgiven. We're as righteous as Jesus Christ because we have received his righteousness. And to say that we're not is to, is to miss what we've been given in Christ. We are, we are as righteous and as right with God as Jesus himself. As soon as we say yes and we receive the free gift of it, we are heaven ready right then. But guess what? On earth, we're not quite earth ready. We still have some of our old habits and hang-ups and thought patterns. The stuff in our soul is still a, is still a mess. It still needs some work. And there's a process to that. Where guess what? God's love and grace said yes to us. God's love and grace continues to carry us on. And you and I, we see, we see the daily process. We see that it doesn't quite match up. And so many times we feel like we want everything to be ready. We want to have the, the move that bus experience. And so where there's like, yes, I gave my messed up life to God and he did this full extreme home makeover on me. And everything's ready. And then, but we look at us today and tomorrow and we're not quite ready. 
And it's like, it's like somebody moved the bus. And it was just the sheetrock and the studs and the wires hanging out. And we're like, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not quite ready. And we see our lives. We see our discipleship process. We see our struggles. And we can begin to get frustrated with ourselves if we don't hang on to hope. If we don't hang on to it. And folks, this is why you and I have to be radically patient with one another. Because guess what? That God that's still working on you is still working on everybody else in your life too. So guess what? That is why we can, we can say, you hold on to the name of Christ, even though our lives do not yet fully ref- reflect Christ. So people say, you know what, Brandon? You're a hypocrite. Well, I guess. Yeah, I hold up the fact that I'm a Christian and I'm moving towards that and I don't line up. So if that makes me a hypocrite, well, then yeah, then I'm a hypocrite. But guess what? I'm a hypocrite that's moving in the direction of Jesus. I'm a hypocrite that's moving in that deal. And and here's the thing is that when we hold on to the hope of who Christ is and what he has done, that hope begins to carry us forward. We have to do that, which helps us to begin to make life-giving decisions in the middle of this process that our mind, our will, and emotions begin to line up. Let's go back and let's look. At Galatians chapter 9, sandwiched in 8 and 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. It says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. That just means if you are making decisions, that's what that sow means, is to, 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 to plant something, to do something. If you are doing something to simply gratify your own natural desires and wants. Out of that, what you're going to get is destruction. That's what you're going to get. You're a believer. You're saved. You're heaven ready. But your decisions that you are making are bringing about unnecessary destruction in your life. It says, but the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If we'll begin to do the things that that please the Holy Spirit, that the the Holy Spirit is leading us to do out of that, the things that are real life will begin to come out of that. Now, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. We understand that our decisions can either go and, and our decisions can bring destruction or our decisions can bring life. So let us not become weary in making these good decisions for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Folks, one of the greatest sources of weariness is people. People just wear you down. They just can and this says especially to those who belong in the family of believers. Folks, other Christians can wear you down and begin to be difficult. And that's why we have to have this, this hope, the hope that's alive in us, that's at work in us, and the hope that's alive in every other Christ follower. But otherwise, we'll begin to get discouraged in the process. Why? Because we'll still lose it sometimes. We'll still drop that word that we're trying to get out of our vocabulary. We'll still snap every once in a while and get upset and and get mad. 
We'll have moments where we're walking in the Spirit, and it will reflect heaven itself. And it's like God gets glorified. And then in the next moment, we'll get upset, and we'll do something that's completely destructive. And that can begin to be wearisome. And that's why you and I, we have to hold on to hope to walk this thing out. Folks, this being a Christ follower thing, this being a child of God thing, isn't just a moment. It isn't a prayer at the end of a service. It is, it is the, that is the beginning of it. That's not the end of it. This is a whole lifelong thing. And if we're not holding on to hope, then this weariness thing will come in here and seep in. And we have to make sure we're holding on to real hope. Why? Because the hope we have in Jesus it should make us strong and secure that knowing that God is still transforming us. That God's still at work. It's not over. It's not over just because we don't look at our lives today and say, all right, folks, let's look at it. The extreme home makeover's done. I'm ready for my big reveal. Just because that isn't here yet doesn't mean that, that, that we would be discouraged. God's not done. He's still transforming us in this hope keeps us moving forward. Romans 8, 24 says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? That's the purpose of hope. That's the purpose of hope is it's not fully shown up yet. It's not fully there. I don't hope to make it onto the stage. I can hope to successfully get off the stage when this is done, but I don't hope to make it up here. I walked up those steps and I didn't trip. I did it. I don't have to hope that I don't. And so we don't hope for what has already been seen. It says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. There are places where you and I, let's just be honest, we can begin to be a little tired and a little weary with this. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. When we get, begin to get frustrated with others, when we begin to get frustrated with ourselves, when we begin to say, man, this is tough. I thought this would go faster. I thought my temper would be under control by now. I thought this hang-up would already be dealt with by now. I thought this issue in this person I care about would already be handled by now. I wish this was already dealt with by now. There's, this is where the Spirit begins to help us. In our moments of weakness. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. And he says we continually remember before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The endurance to be able to walk this out. It's inspired by hope. And that is why we have to hope fully. We have to hope fully because it's the, the soul part of it isn't automatic. The soul part of it doesn't have, we're heaven ready as soon as we say yes to Jesus. But there's the, the soulish part of us that needs some work. There's some soulish part of us that needs some, some uh, regeneration. And we have to lean on God, lean on the Spirit. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what we're about. We want to know God better and trust him more. 
says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Your hope is bigger than what you already know. You need the Spirit to reveal to you the depths of the hope that you have. The hope that you got a, got a hold of, you just got a hold of the tip of the iceberg. You just, you just barely got a hold of it. Your hope is so much bigger than you fully understand. We need the Spirit to open our eyes of our hearts so that we may know the hope that we just called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. So then, let's let, bring this right back to Hebrews again. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We can hold on to hope. We can hope fully because he who promised, he who promised he's faithful. He does it. He is faithful and we can rely on him. Folks, our bottom line today is that hope is an anchor for our soul. Hope lets the life of God in us show the life of God through us. And that's what this life in Christ is all about. But it is, it is anchored. It is anchored to hope. I dare you to begin to let your heart hope again. Not hope in something that this world has to offer, but hope in a God who is faithful day in and day out. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.